Welcome to Raise the Line from Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. In this special episode, we'll be talking to one of the winners of the 2020 Osmosis Raise the Line Faculty Awards. Only five were selected out of hundreds of nominations we received. Osmosis's engagement manager, Lindsay Smith, sat down with each of them to ask about their career, their methods, and their advice for future healthcare providers. Dr. Goldfarb, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Sharon Goldfarb. I'm Dean of Health Sciences at College of Marin. I also am president of the California Organization of Associate Degree Nursing, so I support many nursing schools, and I'm the Western Board Rep for the Organization of Associate Degree Nursing Nationwide, and very proud to do that work and also do some stuff on social mission for health education. So I, I wear a lot of hats. So I'm curious to know about your background and what got you started in your career in education? Well, it's sort of funny because I was a quite rebellious teenager and I was always in trouble. And my dad was in the medical sciences and uh, the hospital he was affiliated with had a preschool for children with developmental delays. So he basically insisted when I was having a very hard time in high school that I had to go and teach in this preschool. And I went in for the interview with a mohawk and um, safety pins up and down my ears and black lipstick and none of the teachers wanted to work with me. Um, but uh, the director of the school said, her dad's chief of psychiatry, we have to take her. And I ended up teaching there for 10 years uh, throughout my high school, throughout college, my summer jobs. And I really loved being um, in education. Uh, but I thought my my bigger career was really going to be in the health sciences, and it was very interesting that I, I accidentally fell into nursing education um, in New York. Nurse practitioner students have to find their own clinical preceptors, and I was working on a mobile medical van that did homeless primary care for homeless outreach, needle exchanges, um, soup kitchens, um, and I was driving along, and a student saw the van, called the number on the side of the van, and said, "Is there a nurse practitioner there?" And they said, "Yes." And they put me in touch with her. And um, I said, I'm, I just finished a year ago. I'm not ready to teach. She said, well, why doesn't the director of the NP program come and watch you and let you know? So the director of Columbia University in New York uh, person came, a really wonderful mentor to me, because you ask about that later, Elizabeth Hall. And uh, she was like, you're ready to teach. So I taught at Columbia, um, both nurse practitioner students and first-year medical students for about 10 years, and then moved to California, and the rest is history. You mentioned Elizabeth Hall. Tell us more about how she inspired you. Uh, it was it was very interesting because um, at the time I was, you know, starting a family, and I really loved being a clinician, and she kept on saying, you have a gift for academia. Come give a guest lecture in addition to taking students, which I did in the days when we had slide projectors. And, um, and she was like, I really want you to publish, come along and meet people. And I was like, look, I have two small children. I have a 40 hour a week job taking care of, you know, doing primary care for a homeless. I'm way busy. And I guess it put something in the back of my head because when I came out here, uh, when I moved to California about 17 years ago, I decided to do full-time academia. And, um, you know, I, I think that 
it's important for students to know if you go in the health sciences, you're going to learn forever and um, you want to be in a place where you're happy. But I only just finished my doctorate this past January. So I've never stopped learning. And I'm even thinking about what's next, a public health degree, maybe a psych NP. So I'm, I'm always wanting to learn. And around COVID, I'm reading articles about COVID every day. In order to win the Osmosis Raise the Line Faculty Award, you had to receive many nominations and testimonials from students and colleagues that you know. So I'm going to read one and get your reaction. After the pandemic struck, we lost all of our clinical placements in a matter of one week. With the fear of losing eight weeks of previous class progress and being delayed up to a year, Sharon stepped in and captained the ship. She facilitated an entirely new curriculum, including telenursing with our community, so that patients in Marin County could be at peace, knowing that we were not alone while continuing the nursing education for 80 future nurses. She has inspired me to lead, care for others, and collaborate so that the next generation of nurses can make the world a better place. That is very moving. I mean, I'm a little welling up, but, you know, I... I I believe in transformational healthcare and I believe in transformational education. So I'm really aware of my community's healthcare needs and I'm really aware of my students' individual journeys. And many of them were in sort of gig economy jobs. They were massage therapists and dog walkers and bartenders and waitresses. And um, they all stopped working. And many of them had children and bills to pay and nursing was gonna be their way out. And there seems something obscene about we're hitting a pandemic. We know it's going to affect the healthcare workforce and my students need to work. And uh, But because we don't have clinicals and the regulations of the California Board of Registered Nursing, we're just going to have to stop. So honestly, it's not something I did single-handedly. My students were very involved in the process. I believe in shared governance. They came up with some of the ideas. My faculty all had to rise to the occasion, not just developing the new curriculum and the new telenursing you know, models, but also learning how to be online instructors. So it was a heavy lift for everybody. And um, I, I'm glad that I had some vision and some ideas, but it was a, it was a group effort. Are you familiar with Osmosis's six core values? Yeah, I am. And I watched the video, the YouTube video, which I highly recommend and looked at your beautiful website. So I, I, it's funny because the question is, can you pick one? Um, and I actually could probably talk to all of them, but I did pick the one that I liked the best, which is start with the heart. And I love that because when I was a nurse practitioner working with homeless people who were under-resourced, I believed I saw some real transformational healing because I loved my patients. I led with my heart as a clinician and my mind, and I think they're connected. And then the same thing with education. I, um, I really, I'm dyslexic myself, severely dyslexic, and I had to have a lot of support throughout my whole education. I didn't even learn to read till I was eight. Um, and so when I have students who have issues around neurodiversity, I'm always like, there's a way to learn. There are a lot of ways to learn. So let's find the way that's for you. And I really believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and often our students of color, first-generation students, students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, they're plenty smart and they're plenty hardworking, but it's the hidden curriculum that can trip them up. So this idea of like meeting your students where they are and starting with your heart is where you see transformational education. And I have to say, I had this really amazing experience. Um, a student who had been a single teenage mother 
in a not great area was one of my community college students of several years ago. And she really was an amazing, amazing student. So I encouraged her to do the fast track masters, which she said she didn't think she could do, but she did. And I just hired her as faculty. And the students have actually said to me, it's like winning Christmas every day when I go to clinical with her. She's the best teacher in the program. And um, she is loving being a teacher. And I think like when you start with the heart, you love your students, you love your curriculum, you love your community, you love the the medical sciences, it's where real magic can happen. So I like that that's an important factor for you guys at Osmosis. From the sound of it, you absolutely demonstrated the ability to imagine more and reach further. And that was my actually my second one, um, because if you look at Bloom's taxonomy of like how we learn, being creative and imagining is the highest. And I really think what healthcare is calling for right now is like, how do we imagine and create telehealth under COVID? How do we imagine and create how we're going to vaccinate so many people and do a second follow-up vaccine? And I think, you know, when you look at the death rates due to hospital errors, third or fourth leading cause in this country, killing as many as a quarter of a million Americans a year, that we've got to be imaginative and creative to, to solve the crises we're facing. As you mentioned, COVID-19 has brought along with it some very unique challenges for everyone. What has your experience been like and what have you learned so far? Well, COVID in California, I think in particular, has been extremely challenging because the Board of Registered Nursing requires direct patient hours to educate nursing students and there weren't a lot of them. And there is really even the question of should we be placing students in COVID-rich environments when they have decades of a healthcare career in front of them, and we know how how bad this disease can be, um, and the sequelae can be very bad. So um, that was extremely challenging. Um, And then, you know, we also saw a huge drop in the nursing workforce because uh, we saw a 30% reduction of nursing educators in the state. There were educators who didn't want to be online educators. There were educators who didn't want to go where there was COVID. A lot of nursing faculty are older. um, And there were a lot of educators who were like, education has never paid great. And now my partner has lost their their job. And I need to go back to clinical where I make a lot more money. So um, finding the clinical faculties, facilities, finding the clinical faculties, keeping people on board. And then I really believe like if a student got sick, I didn't want to drop them of the program, but there were minimum requirements of hours. So how to like cobble together a curriculum for a student who's just been out with COVID for two weeks or what to do with a co-cohort because they were at skills lab together, even with masks and social distancing and hygiene and cleaning, you know, we had to take a whole cohort out if one person tested positive. So there were a lot of a lot of challenges, but I like to think with every challenge, there's an opportunity for learning and growth. I mean, I'm an educator. That's the way we have to see the world. And um, so I think uh, I think there were some good lessons learned, and I hope we take it and, and run with it. What is next for you and your institution? Well, I think since we're still in what they're calling out here, the third wave of COVID and losing more clinical sites or clinical sites only taking a smaller cohort. We're really, and you know, we have three faculty searches going on, just keeping things going. You know, we're still really in crisis mode. Um, uh, Finding the PPE, um, some hospitals are requiring that everyone has an N95 mask. 
the hospitals had asked us to donate our supplies from our skills lab, so we gave it all away. And, you know, so that sort of day-to-day challenge is, is still really big for our school. I mean, I, I think thinking of visionary of what happens in the future, um, you know, we have these lessons, we've developed telenursing, we have these health education videos, we've done some really amazing stuff. So I hope that just continues to grow. For me, you know, I got very politically active around this. So I think, um, you know, there may be a role for me to be more more on the policy side um, and uh, more on educational leadership. But, uh, you know, every day brings some surprises. So we'll just see. I like to go with the flow. Osmosis is a teaching company, and we are always looking to help fill knowledge gaps. Is there a topic that you'd like to educate us on? The floor is yours. Well, I mean, I feel like I could do a whole podcast just on this. Um, so uh, I think medicine, the whole field changes so quickly. So we always have to be aware to pivot. I often tell my students when I was in nursing school, there were some articles in the paper about gay men are getting this autoimmune disease and we don't really know why that's happening. And you know, I graduated nursing school with very little knowledge about HIV and my first job was starting an HIV clinic in Harlem. And um, so doing the research was like learning about AZT. That was all there was. Like, can you imagine if you stopped your education with AZT and you have HIV positive patients? So you always have to learn and you have to see what's going on, whether it's new diseases, new drugs, new technology. But I almost think that sort of checklist manifesto that we um, teach healthcare with, like, do you know how to do a blood pressure? And do you know how to like insert an IV? And do you, is really lacking what health science students need to know, because there's a lot of stuff you can pick up as you, as you learn and you have to anyway, as things change. Um, I think we really need to teach. I think we need to teach the healthcare workforce much more about like structural racism, the social determinants of health, how we can really reach and connect our patients. Yes, we go to the hospitals, but there are a lot of patients who never get to the hospital or they only get to the hospital when it's really too late. And I think we're really seeing as I'm not a huge fan of the electronic medical record and I follow ZDogMD that, you know, it's like a glorified cash register and we did not enter the healthcare field to be data entry clerks. And this idea that, you know, it that takes up a huge amount of our time and how do we, you know, kind of push back on the structures of of where healthcare is going. I think we have to teach our students the sort of change-making, resiliency, these, you know, these skills, like how do you uh, um, analyze the community you're in and bring the best health practices to the whole community? These are really important questions that I think are overlooked and and can always be done better. Um, I, I know that I often see patients who are very sick um, when I'm in clinical practice and they don't fit a textbook at all. And this idea of you have a patient with diabetes. I remember working at this free clinic and recently, and the doctors were like, Sharon, talk to her about diet and exercise. Diabetes is about diet and exercise. So I look at this woman when I walk in and she looks sadder than almost anyone I've ever seen in my life. And she's very slim. So I start by just saying, you know, what's your story? She works as an undocumented um, healthcare, um, house, house cleaner. She works about six out, days a week, 10 hours a day. So is it about exercise when she's moving all the time? I don't think so. And then when I did the dietary recall, 
She only really has one meal a day. It's rice and beans, sometimes some broth, doesn't have any sweets. So it's not about caloric intake. But when I asked her about her life, her son in jail, raising her grandchild, taking care of her 90-year-old mother with diabetes, her dog had just passed away after eating rat poison and no money for a vet, her husband laid off. The stress, 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 we know that also elevates blood sugar. And I remember looking at her chart and it was about a week or two before her birthday. And I said, I need you to give yourself a gift for your birthday of health. And I need you to find time where you can have peace and where you can find joy and realize how much you take on and how hard your life is. But every, this is what needs to be discussed. And I could only have that conversation because I've been taking care of, you know, um, medically um, needy populations for 30 years. I don't know that that is in the textbooks. The diet is, the exercise is, the drug is, how to evaluate feet and eyes, but not really about the lived reality of our patients. So I would love to see more of that in healthcare education. And the end of the story is a few weeks, she actually regulated her blood sugar. More great examples of how you started with the heart, open your arms and had her back. So you have a good portion of listeners here that are going to be entering the healthcare field for the very first time during the pandemic. What advice do you have for them? Well, first I would say thank you for choosing this as a career and congratulations on you know, starting this journey. It's not an easy journey. So, you know, you're brave and and wonderful for choosing it. Um, but I think what I sometimes see is that people going into the healthcare field, they really are not sure what they're getting into. I can tell you that a lot of people I hear want to go into the healthcare field because they've watched Grey's Anatomy. And as a clinician, what's portrayed on TV is very far from the reality. So if your dream is based on something you've seen in the movies or TV, I would do a reality check and try to talk with people in the healthcare field, try to arrange um, you know, a shadow day so you really know what you're going into. Um, I think uh, it's a hard field now and it requires a lot of bravery and and change makers, but uh, I would say really try to get a good sense of what you're going into. Thank you so much for joining us, Sharon. As we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to add? I have to say that I think mentorship is such an important part of my journey that I have really worked on doing mentoring programs for my, my students. And I have to say, like, I have mentors from every minute of my life and from like every age. So you know, I had the faculty that taught me. I had one faculty member, um, um, uh, Susan, who actually let me stay at her house when my clinical was so far away. Um, I had um, my clinical faculty when I was a student, Pam Ryder, at Bellevue's emergency room, who taught me almost everything I know as a clinician. And I still hear her voice in my head when I'm doing a diagnosis. I just diagnosed um, temporal arteritis. I remembered her lecture, you know, 30 years later. Um, I definitely was inspired by my parents who were in the field and, and being dyslexic, my dad really helped me study for every test I took in nursing school and for my nursing boards. I'm inspired by my students. I love hearing about their lives and sharing and learning about, you know, the community that they live in and their experiences. And, uh, you know, I couldn't admire nursing faculty more, like to choose nursing and then take the pay cut and go into nursing education. It's very special people who do it. So, um, um, and I recently just took on an official mentor who is graduating nursing school because I read online, you should have at least one mentor who's under 30. 
So I, I end up being more of a mentor to other people, but I look for mentors and I take it wherever it comes. And I feel honored I wouldn't be here without the people who have shined bright and brought me into the light. And just in terms of social determinants of health and how do we meet the people with the worst health outcomes, let's get some mentorship and some voices from people from that community. I mean, I think you can just find mentors everywhere. And, you know, I also think that one of the public health crises we're really dealing with is loneliness, worse with COVID, of course, but with the silver um, tsunami, as people get older, they get more isolated. And they're like perfect mentors. I did connect um, a retirement community with a lot of physicians and nurses with my community college nursing students. And it was amazing to see that kind of mentorship. It gave everyone more purpose and, and more support. Mentioning the loneliness epidemic is so important because especially during these times, a lot of people are trapped in their situation and it's just not good for anyone long-term. I read it's like smoking 20 cigarettes a day, the effects of loneliness on your health. So um, I think, you know, a lot of things that are sort of in the mental health category are like, just get over it, just figure it out. And it's really not that simple. It's as serious as any, it is a medical condition and that we really kind of address that screen time is actually making us more lonely. It kind of feels like there are people there, but we really need to kind of, kind of get back to more, some more social roots when we safely can. Excellent, Sharon. And thank you again. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>